Hey everyone, welcome to the Stepsero podcast. Once again, Matteo here. Uh, today I am joined by Duncan So, is uh, the co-founder and executive director of the Burnout Clinic based in Toronto, Canada. Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. I, today is a time that I want to serve your community. I know what I loved about you know your podcast, and by the way, a sh- huge uh, shout out, high five for the work you guys do. Is really championing and, and, and moving that needle uh, on mental health and especially uh, looking at it from the lens of the workplace. So kudos to you guys, man. Thank you so much. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't ask for a better start. <laughs> um, Duncan, you, you have, um, I mean, obviously, like I said, you, you co-founded the Burnout Clinic, uh, which is uh, partly self-explanatory, right? Like people will have an idea of, of uh, what, your, what your expertise is. And today's topic is indeed uh, burnout. We will talk a bit about. We will touch on burnout, what it is, why it's important to uh, to be informed about about this issue, and and then we'll move on specifically to what you guys at the burnout clinic do, and potentially what advice you have for you know HR leaders or entrepreneurs and all those people that you that you help uh, through your work. Um, so may I ask you to introduce yourself and maybe um, shed a bit of light on your background because like I said before the recording, you have a very interesting, uh, very interesting background, um, which, uh, which led you, you know, naturally almost to, to found the burnout clinic. Can you, can you um, share it with us? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, quickly, I'm the executive director and co-founder of the burnout clinic. Uh, I'm board certified with the association of integrative psychology. I'm a master practitioner in NLP, mental emotional release and hypnosis. Um, but my, my actual training is in engineering. It's a funny thing. I actually didn't get into that space. Um, uh, when I was in university, my dream was to be a, to design video games. Um, I was always very fascinated with the concept of, you know, the hero's journey and, you know, how we can achieve our potential. Spent almost a decade in corporate IT. Burnt out. <laughs> so I went into full burnout, although it was probably the most exciting and high growth time of my life. Um, it was very conducive. Because back in the day, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to work for a Richard Branson company. It was a Virgin Group company uh, here in Canada. We helped launch a, a teleco here that got bought out. Um, and, you know, I was able to do a lot of really great feats with a small team and make a lot of impact in that space. Um, and then I hit a sort of what we call it a quarter life crisis, a dark night of the soul. And I start to question. I mean, a lot of millennials talk about it as well as they begin to question sort of why am I doing this? Can, if I see myself, can I see myself doing this career for you know, a long period of time that we uh, hear these stories from a lot of our older counterparts, um, you know, our mentors, our managers, those that are retiring now have long careers. Um, and I wasn't uh, very much like a lot of, you know, conscious leaders or people who uh, were more aware of uh, what they want in life. Um, I start to question that. And so I left the corporate space and I launched a nonprofit in the beginning. And I set myself on a journey to understand what it would take at a systemic level. Remember, I'm an engineer. So I want to find sort of, you know, not just a secret of happiness, but how can we uh, connect to our passion and do what we love and be successful at it? Um, and so it got me into a field called human flourishing. Uh, really fancy for, you know, the psycho- like all the different prin- integrative principles behind whether it's psychology, whether it's, you know, things like design thinking. I know you guys had a podcast earlier before on design thinking, like the way we think, the way we feel our emotions. Uh, our physical being, our spiritual being, and everything all intertwined into one unique journey. And, you know, how can we model that? How can we look at a modernized framework that we can use um, to help us flourish, right? So, you know, understanding that wasn't too difficult. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who are really good when it comes to understanding how we operate. It's almost like if we were born into this world, what's our, what's our, oper- what's our, what's our manual, right? Like, how can we open our manual and and figure out how to tap into all our natural gifts. Um, it's a lot of literature on that. Um, but for me, my awakening really was around what we call systemic change. Like, how do we you know, go underneath the hood, like, uh, you know, the per- proverbial hood as an engineer? How do we go into the mechanics of how things work in the world, um, including our collective norms and our beliefs and our values and all those deep things, and really start to reevaluate how we think and behave and restructure? Um, our systems, which we see today, I mean, uh, COVID-19, um, you know, this podcast is being played during this time of COVID-19, where we've hit everything from economy to looking at basic income to work, the future of work, what that's going to look like, to education when students are out of school, 
all the way to public health and the healthcare systems and government and you name it, right? We have riots on the streets right now. So structurally, we know that uh, it no longer aligns to a lot of the beliefs um, that we're looking for. And it's not that the beliefs were never there. It's the inner tension and conflicts are really strong and have been really strong. And something like COVID has, you know, and I'll borrow this from Andrew Yang. He's one of the um, Democratic candidates uh, for the 2020 election. And what he mentioned, because he does a lot of things around future of work, is the COVID-19 pandemic has caused a 10-year compression, which we were supposed to get in 10 years, we have now in 10 months. And so there's a lot of change going on globally right now. Um, and it's one of the strong reasons. And I, and I spent 10 years in human flourishing, looking at projects from reinventing convenience store network systems to uh, using shared economies to a $4 trillion uh, crypto uh, blockchain called the Earth Dollar, um, which um, is pledged on natural capital assets to bring sovereignty uh, and alleviate poverty for indigenous groups, indigenous nations, sovereign indigenous nations, and bring sovereignty back. So a lot of these really cool structural challenges um, that I spent a decade on. And then I sort of left that space. I launched a school in Ghana. I have a school in Ghana um, and launched a, a World Economic Forum Global Shapers community out there, just outside Ghana and Tsunami. It's a it's a little village outside um, the, the capital. And, you know, for me, it was looking at, you know, future of ed, future of philanthropy, future of work. And one of the, um, you know, where the story sort of folds into the burnout clinic uh, in a very funny way was the last big project I was working on with my social impact lab uh, was a program called Start Your Impact Journey. And it was designed specifically for um, those that are going through this, what, what I call purpose awakening process, and wants to move from a career to a calling. Um, and so there's a, a science, there's a model, there's a philosophy and a framework behind that. And so that's what I was going through. And as a strategy, it's great. And the, the strategy, there's a hurdle I hit as I was going through that was a lot of people were coming from a lens of, you know, we loosely use the word burnout. So I'm going to clarify that in a moment. Um, but burnout has a lot of emotional baggage and limiting beliefs caught behind that. And so as I was going through the steps to get towards that career transition, you know, the analogy I use, it's like you, you want to do your kitchen upgrade, right? You're doing career transition. You want to move from a career to a calling, you know, connect to things like passion and purpose uh, with a step-by-step -step way. And suddenly as you're building all these pieces, you, like you're remodeling your kitchen and you realize there's mold behind the walls, right? That's a challenge, right? These are the emotions, that's emotional baggage that you picked up as a child. It's limiting beliefs that stop you from fully embracing um, that calling. Uh, and while that is a rites of passage, it's painful for a lot of people and for a lot of social entrepreneurs and change agents. And for those who are listening to this, who are uh, embarking on the path of being a change agent, the challenge with that is you have this really compelling mission, but so much baggage and pain and hurt and anger and fear and all those emotions holding you down. And so you can almost imagine that you have this amazing calling to do to fulfill your greatness, but you have so much weight that you're pulling just to move forward. And it gets really tiring. And so what I ended up doing was from, you know, prevention and building strategy and outcomes and all those great things, I had to move into intervention. Right? I had to quickly move into, let's clear that up. Because if I don't clear that up, I can't move forward with that. And so, you know, the story really goes with the, the founding of the Burnout Clinic. Um, you know, there, so one, yes, we work with uh, the World Economic Forum. But the other groups, the other group that I follow very closely to is a company called Gallup. I don't know if uh, your audience will be familiar with that, but if they're in HR, it's probably bread and butter because Gallup is, in my mind, it's sort of the grandparents of engagement. I mean, they're the ones uh, who popularize this concept of half of the workplace is disengaged and tw two out of 10 are actively disengaged, meaning they look at their boss and say, screw you. And, so, and a really small handful, 20 to 30% of people actually love their job and they carry the weight of the organization and that, and that leads to burnout as well. So we also know that um, a 20-30 percent of actively engaged uh, employees also fall into burnout. So you know, over time, it's become a challenge. And you know, following Gallup, I was like, "Hey, you've done an amazing job on engagement, and you've uh, championed and led the movement of all these not just engagement surveys, but the shift of culture of how HR looks at um, human resources and capital towards people, right? So you, hear, you see that change of language, um, even in titles of HR." Um, you know, head of HR to head of people, or VP of people, whatever it is, uh, that type of thing. And, and I, 
I would attribute a lot of that movement to groups like Gallup, the, the, the think tanks that do that. And suddenly in 2018, late 2018 to 19, they released a report on burnout. And I was like, hey guys, you're supposed to be leading this charge on engagement, right? So not just that we have 50% you know, disengagement and yes, things are changing around. I see so much prevention and wellness and building total wellness and all these great areas of HR. But suddenly you're moving into burnout and it's gonna be a really big problem. And through that relationship with the World Economic Forum, which does uh, do work on mental health as well, uh, they, they literally showed I mean, for the World Economic Forum from a systems change lens, uh, they look at how disruptive technologies like AI and, and automation and, and robotics and that type of stuff are going to really uh, change the way, not just the way we work, but change the way of everything um, that, that we live. Um, and the challenge with sort of that forefront of moving into what we call the singularity, into the unknown, into the unprecedented, um, is that mental and emotional well-being and over like, mental and emotional emotional well-being is literally collateral damage because there is not enough research there is no research usually things like this like psychology for example but it's longitudinal research we take a long time to figure things out and we're still trying to figure out for example the effects of social media and technology that we have on youth we don't have enough data on it because we're in the first generation that is born into technology um, we're, the, we're the first largest massive uh, crunch cohorts of intergenerations that we've had ever, right? Um, because life expectancy has expanded and we're, having, we're still having kids. So you have all these different generations all mismatched together. And so it's one of those things that it's all unprecedented. We don't know what's, what's happening. Um, and there is going to be a huge emotional and mental overload on what we do. And by the time we figure that out, it's too late. Meaning is we don't want to drive um, yes, we're already seeing environmental damage of how our leadership is driving our planet into the ground. But once we drive ourselves into the ground, um, that's it. I mean, we're uh, a lot of um, you know leaders in the space call the next mass extinction ourselves. Like we're going to, you know, we're going to put ourselves extinct. There's not going to be a comet or some you know some flood or zombie apocalypse. It's going to be ourselves and how we're going to lead ourselves into into our own little sort of quote unquote doom and gloom. Even though I'm not someone that. Uh, that, that really shares a lot of that thinking, um, but I can see where that's where where if we don't change, um, it will it will very easily lead into sort of those scenarios. That's you know where do I start? I mean, you you gave us like a lot of interesting information. Like, and and I want to start by saying that you know, like I said, like I think people who are listening understand that you have a, a very varied background and uh, and that that you at some point, you know, you, you almost found yourself like um, having to pursue this, uh, this career because of, your, because of your background and because of your own experience with burnout um, and, uh, and uh, everything surrounding it, right? But I, what I want people to understand is that and what makes it, I think, really approachable is the fact that you got into this, pass me the term, calling or, or uh, you know, like a venture because you know from a, from a, an engineering background right you started as an engineering uh, which i think makes it very uh, relatable and approachable because it does you know this is something that affects all of us no matter what our background is right like my background is mostly sales and business development your background is mostly engineering we're both common by unfortunately by an episode uh, you know burnout episode and uh, and we both moved on you know trying to uh, trying to address the problem, obviously in different ways. We are we are promoting this podcast, and we invite people like you who are uh, creating ventures around it. And uh, and so this is, I think, a beautiful start to to you know let people know where you were, uh, what what happened in the in the past years, and why uh, you are so adamant and vocal about the need for companies to address the burnout problem. And then you you spoke obviously. Uh, what I liked is the, this this passage, you know, from from career to calling, and the fact that a calling, you know, is is about making work meaningful. That's I know that it's something that you touch upon, for example, in your free resources on your website. There's a lot of useful, actually, you know, if if uh, listeners are, uh, you know, feel like tuning in, like definitely visit the Burnout Clinic website and uh, and look at the free resources. There's a lot of useful useful stuff there, and. Uh, so like there, there is a lot of elements to it. And obviously you have a very, uh, I would say, complete picture around, around what surrounds burnout. You even mentioned the, 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 the baggage, the, the emotional baggage that, uh, that, 
that people have. And, and there is this, uh, you know, um, need for people to address that baggage before they even, they even move on with that. You know, like it's like you said, the, the example with the, with the kitchen is beautiful. There's no, it's almost pointless to renew or refurbish, you know, your, uh, your kitchen before taking off, taking out the mold. Right. And this is, and the same happens to us. So, you know, this was, let's say my way of, uh, of um, kind of, touching on all the on all the focal points that we covered so far so my question to you would be when you know when approaching burnout and now we go a bit deeper into the into the topic of burnout obviously you know burnout can manifest itself like you like you said through for example um cynical or disengaged behavior right like uh, you said two out of ten uh, they they look at their boss and, and and they say screw you or they or maybe they do the same with their clients uh, or or maybe they're just like you know they're completely disengaged and uninterested uh, in in their jobs uh, but there's a lot of different you know it could be exhaustion it could be fatigue it could be low self-esteem there's a lot of aspects to burnout so what like how in in all this complexity how do you make order with this thing within this complexity and how do you approach burnout like as it is like how do you uh, how do you make sense of this complexity and and get let's say a step closer towards um, addressing burnout? Yeah, good, great question. Um, so we start with definition first. I mean, the challenge with burnout. So burnout is one of those few things that, in an, in the language in itself, is a metaphor. Meaning, is intuitively we know what burnout is because it's a metaphor. It's when the heat burned is fire. When the heat inside is gone right? We fizzle out. We can feel that we can't really describe it. It's hard for us to label. Um, and we, I'll go into the indicators in, in a little bit more depth later uh, in a moment. Um, but the intuitive side of it is um, the energy is gone. Where did it go? Right. And that can lead to a whole myriad, myriad of different mental and emotional conditions. Now, what we use at the clinic is, is we got to be specific because meaning um, there's a lot of people who are good at burnout prevention, right? That's the resilience, the thinking, the mindset. Uh, the wellness, go do some yoga or go for a walk, journal, meditate, that type of stuff. Really great practices for, for prevention, but from an intervention lens, it's very different. Um, and we have to take a very methodical approach uh, when it comes to finding the right tools and techniques, uh, processes that we need to clear out uh, those psychological, mental, emotional um, you know, challenges. So the, the clear definition we use is very simple is if you expend more energy than you can recover as a habit, that's burnout. And the reason why I say that in contrast, meaning is if you were to look at the definition uh, this year or, or later last year, the World Health Organization finally uh, put their rough definition of burnout. And it was along the lines of being a workplace phenomenon. So they kind of pegged it on the workplace. Unfortunately, we know that it's, it's not entirely true. Um, it's just historically, it's shown that doctors, nurses, frontline workers have exhibited that. And now, you know, a person that does social media is exhibiting burnout too. Um, so they're, they're building those relationships. So one, they pin it on the workplace. And number two, uh, they just loosely put it as unmanaged stress, right? But that's kind of difficult because stress is very elusive, right? Stress is very like um, when you're not in the flow, when you're not in the zone, like the opposite, like mental health when it comes to the positive aspects, right? When you're not in that in those conditions and you fall into those graces, you get stressed, right? You're, you're into fight or flight. Um, you move all the quarters, all the things that you're moving into a non-state of recovery and relaxation uh, creates stress. And when it's what they call uh, not being well managed, uh, then that can lead to burnout. And it's very vague, meaning it's tough. So you can imagine as a clinic, the first challenge I had to structure it was, okay, well, uh, one, how to even target the people to help them understand what they're going through. And so the reason why we focus on habits is a few things is we can navigate in different areas. When we look at habits, one, we can do behavioral change, right? So the simplest thing is you're now, you have pattern awareness, you're noticing things that you're doing consistently at the unconscious level, even though you're aware of it, but you can't stop it, like smoking, for example, right? Like people are aware that smoking is bad. They still do it, right? So when you have parent awareness for burnout, we can move into interventions that lead to behavioral changes, right? CBT is a really popular one, right? When, when it comes to behavioral changes. So yes, uh, our, our body of work called neuro-linguistic programming has a whole slew of different techniques and processes for behavioral change. 
At the same time, we can look at it from a, okay, if it's a habit, are there any beliefs that drive it? Deep rooted beliefs, right? Um, we can, we have techniques that do like many other psych psychology type practices where they do what we call scrambling the neurology, right? Is we loosen the grip. Reframing is a big one. Even in talk therapy is um, you're stuck in a specific story or narrative you're going at and you're able to present uh, something that's uh, a resource that they've accessed before and you start to build relationships with that so there's a little bit of a path people i call loosening the grip right you loosen the grip of a problem and you present another path more resources for others to take it all the way to things um, going into your timeline or using how we cognitively uh, lay out our beliefs and shift them so that we can reduce the charge and relationships with that so there's a lot of um, intervention techniques and processes we can use when it comes to belief shifts that lead to behavioral change. Uh, we also have emotional, uh, a lot of the, what I call the emotional baggage, but if you have a lot of charges like triggers, um, one of the processes that we use, our primary process we use at the clinic for burnout around um, emotions called mental emotional release. Um, so that looks at how our unconscious mind structures emotions and our relationship with time and is able to release emotions really quickly. So in our intervention process, things like trauma and things like phobias are gone in as quickly as 20 minutes, right? Generally, it's an hour session to build rapport and stuff, but in 20 minutes, it's gone. And so comparatively to other uh, type of practices like EMDR and stuff like that, those can take weeks. I mean, they're still useful. Um, again, it's without that proper framing and definition and understanding sort of where those, uh, where those challenges lay. Um, we can't apply the right intervention techniques and processes um, to make it effective. And so, again, the first thing for the audience is really, you know, what is burnout? Am I expending more energy than I can recover as a habit? On the flip side, um, just for those who, um, because we are in a very go, go, go type of society, is it's actually okay to expend energy, right? We, we're, in a, we're in a hyper growth uh, part of our society. Forget like just you and me, but in just in general in this world, our population is like what, seven and a half billion. It's going to be hitting 10 billion in like the next, I don't know, a few, a decade or so, right? So we're, we're on a path of massive growth, whether it's sustainable or not, we know we're growing um, at, a, at a high rate. And so we are expending a lot of energy and we're beginning to see that. Technology is also gonna catalyze that as well. So we're seeing that we're expending more energy. So yes, if you have a deadline, you have to hit. Yes, if you have you know, a late night burning the midnight oil or whatever, that's cool, right? But if it becomes a habit, meaning is, wow, you know, like last week I was checking my emails, uh, you know, at, at 11 p.m. I thought it's like a temporary thing. Now it seems to be a company culture. Like everybody's checking their emails at 11. Or, you know, uh, I had this one project and I planned my vacation a year in advance and now I'm on vacation and I'm, I'm, I'm worried about work, right? One time thing, it's fine right? Or, or a weekend or something. But it's like, why is it every time I have a, take a vacation, I need a vacation from a vacation? That's a habit. There's problems, deep-rooted problems there, right? Uh, and so that's when you start to realize the awareness is, huh, I'm starting to exhibit these behaviors and I can't control them, right? That's one. And two, for HR leaders out there to listen on this because, uh, you know, as above, so below type thing is when your employees are going through that inside um, there's also those questions to ask, like, are there more than one person doing that, right? And so you can actually build, it's almost like a contagion model, right? To say one person's exhibiting those habits, are there other people being influenced to exhibit those habits as well? And are there pockets of that? Like, I mean, when we use blanket statements like culture, it's two blanket statement. They're pockets, you can map it. If, as an engineer, that's what you, as a social network, that's what you do, you map. Literally, you can take your, your surveys you do for engagement, do the flip of it. Right, so instead of taking all the positive of the engagement, the negatives of the, of the engagement is a disengagement piece. And you start to do correlation. You start to map over time the relationships you build with people and you can start to get a contagion model, right? You can start to see, hmm, um, where they say, uh, HR loves this, right? How um, they talk about toxic environments. I mean, it's sort of blanket statements, but from a mental health perspective, um, you can go back to habits. You can go back to thinking, beliefs. You can go back to how that expresses itself as behaviors and actions and results. And from as you look at that, you want to see how those relationships are built within organizations. And as you sort of 
see that spread, you know where, where you know you can, you can know exactly where ground zero is in different pockets, and you can start interventions in those areas. Very useful for HR leaders when they're doing their surveys in a more practical way, right? Aside from just hey, let's have a yoga class. Here's an email blast out. Just join, right? Or here's a webinar that I'm doing around burnout. Let's learn about mental health and psychological safety, and just blanket it out, right? Um, that's the difference between, you know, let's be strategic, yes, one thing, but how do we be precise with how we want to affect change within the organization? This is this is super practical. Like we we touched upon this when we when we connected for the first time, and and I believe like the way you explain you, you always explain it in a very clear way, and so you know the fact that you know very practically you you look at behaviors that uh, that uh, let's take you know the case of employees but you know professionals as a as a whole like they the, the type of behaviors that they showcase and then we we map we map out this across the entire organization and we build these pockets like you mentioned and we and we see you know how spread these behaviors are and uh, and by doing this by doing this mapping we can trace the the sort of the core of the problem we can almost pinpoint the, the the root problem right so my you know i'm curious at this point to know you know since you work mostly as far as i understand and correct me if i'm wrong you work mostly with um entrepreneurs people leaders and uh, and hr so people managers um, you know um do you like in your eyes are this type of uh, this category this type of you know people professionals are they trained enough to to do this like are they are they ready for this because this sounds to me and maybe it's a bold statement, but it almost sounds like the, the future of work, right? Like the, the, the type of approach that you have is, uh, is uh, obviously intuitive, but very difficult to, to apply unless somebody has your background, right? So um, would you think professionals, are they ready to, to look into this and to switch this, um, this, their perspective and, and actually, you know, define burnout in relation with habits and then get into into scanning behaviors within their company like is it something that you see um possibly being integrated into into training in the near future do you see this um even like um uh being a realistic possibility within the environment like next week i'm doing a a training uh for a large um, accounting firm right accounting digital fintech firm um, so what we're seeing today is interesting because, um, and it's not that, like, eight, so let me put it out there, sort of like, this is one of those elephants that are the fears that a lot of HR has, right? Is they're not a therapist. I mean, you don't need to be a therapist, right? Um, you don't need to spend years and years and years to, and, and you don't even want to do that. You don't, you don't want to be a therapist because you want to be more strategic around how you um, handle people or, uh, and, and help your organizations flourish that way. Um, the only reason, and it's very short term, by the way, it's very simple. The only reason why we're taking a little bit of a breather to talk about burnout intervention isn't that all the great practices are doing now from engagement surveys to total wellness, uh, things like benefits and making sure they're all available isn't great. You need that. I mean, that's long-term thinking. We call it uh, prevention is the best cure, right? Sometimes uh, you hear that language out there. The only reason why intervention is important now is one, technology, and two, if left unchecked, it can, it, it's, it's a pandemic. It's, it's an epidemic, it means it spreads, right? And so even, so there's two ways to see it. Even the greatest places to work, right? These are the ones that, actually there's a company called The Great Places to Work. Uh, they do surveys around trust and engagement and good culture. Um, and all those type of organizations that um, use those surveys to figure out how uh, their health of their company, even the best of the best, you know, 10%, Right. So basically 90 percent are mentally like mental health really good, uh, you know, 75 percent really good. But there is that 10 percent, that 25 percent that aren't so well. And the challenge with, um, with a lot of at the individual level for companies is you just can't wait for them to turn over. Right. It's like, oh, let's leave them at, at, at their will. Um, HR knows that, yes, we want to spend time on ensuring that the majority, right, a strategy, right, the majority of the issues are covered. But the challenge with burnout, especially intervention, is about the minority. It's not about blanketing the company. It's about where are the few that are struggling the most, especially if they're high impact, meaning is, you know, these are the ones that are decision makers. Like if you, and generally it's a correlation, those that uh, are in high stress situations and need to make 
um, important decisions are the ones that go through burnout, right? And so it's not a secret to us that, you know, our business model is we go after senior leaders, right? Because we know by nature of work, they have a tendency, um, and I'll, I'll, show you, I'll share the clear five paths uh, for your audience because this will be very helpful to structure it. We have five clear paths, uh, and you can take this, these indicators and move it into your surveys if you need to. The first one is called um, uh, the uh, tired and fatigued path, right? So this is the one you get all the, the exhaustion path, right? The one we get all the time where you're overworked, you're overwhelmed, and it gets to a point where you're just tired and fatigued and you just, you're just going slowly through life and you don't know why. Now this is painful for HR because you can imagine you're hiring for talent, there's a, there's a quote unquote war on talent, you're spending a lot of dollars on that, you're building environments, you're building a culture, you're building all these really great things. They come in, by the way, first few weeks, first month, first two months, things are humming really well, hyper-engaged. And for some weird reason, right, whether it's culture, whether it's baggage from a previous job or their career or their life or whatever it is, or when I say non-work related, it could be a relationship challenge or a health challenge or family challenge or a social challenge or whatever, they move into fatigue and exhaustion and coupled with the pressures of work of growth, they get locked in that. And they exhibit all that fatigue and tiredness and that fog and stuff, right? So first path, right? So if you yourself individually feel that, that's one thing. There's a chance if you're feeling that, there are those around you that feel that. Two, you can look up for that. Say, huh, right? It seems that, you know, no matter how much sleep, if you're hearing language like, man, I'm so tired or man, I need more sleep. And it's not just like once or twice, but all the time. Hey, how are you doing Monday morning? Like, oh my God, I feel so tired. Uh, that we can sit and help me recover, right? Right. Then it's just clear language. You don't need to be an expert um, to hear that. Uh, second path is anxiety, anxiety and panic and overwhelm, right? Uh, especially this is something that I'm um, concerned about. So we'll use COVID as an example, right? You hit fatigue because Zoom, right? Zoom is a really great place for fatigue. Unconsciously, that Brady Bunch thing that you're seeing is causing a lot of uh, unconscious defocus, right? That your unconscious mind focuses on that, but you're, you're trying to stare at that one place and go over and over and over again, all lead to fatigue. Um, so we, we're seeing that already because of COVID, right? Number two, that um, when it comes to panic and anxiety is what we're going to see next, right? Because you have a lot of uncertainty that's coming on, economic uncertainty, back to work uncertainty. Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to keep my job? Am I going to get a pay cut? All these different things. And we know this just because the appetite of, Whatever business you're in, at the end of the day, as you follow those dominoes, sales guys, the sales groups are being like, hmm, our clients don't have that big appetite. Everyone's holding, even for the clinic, everyone's sort of, hmm, what should I do, right? And cash isn't flowing, right? Hence the whole big picture economic problem, but you can sort of follow that path to businesses, to individual employment and all that type of stuff. And so you're going to move into high anxiety. You're going to move into uncertainty. You're going to move into later what we call panic. And especially if an HR leader, because you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse to be on the front lines of public health. You're on the front lines of an organization. You're crisis managing your entire organization. So you're moving into fatigue. And just like that, we don't know when. It's a time bomb. You're going to move into high anxiety. You're going to be realizing, well, this anxiety is not helping me. I have to make a decision. There's so many moving parts. There's so much uncertainty. I'm chronically worrying. I can't sleep at night. Right? These are the things when you're like, hmm. Right. So something like COVID, for example, where it's a long period of time, we have a second wave that we're bracing for. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when. And so you can imagine the challenges for that. Right. So HR leaders and employees are being, hmm, what's going to happen? Can I hold long enough for this? Anxiety kicks in and what um, psychologists are sort of calling for is going to be this COVID meets workplace PTSD that's going to happen. That's going to happen pretty soon. Right. A trauma is going to happen. Something simple but big, right? And that's you know that's where we have to clear out all of that all of that mess. Path number two. Uh, path number three is what we call productivity or creativity blocks, right? Or in other words, uh, this is sort of the uh, decision-making paralysis, right? And sometimes it does connect to the narrative of anxiety and overwhelm. It's okay. Things are laid out in front of me. I was once a superstar, the decisions I make have a long lasting trickle effect and or that those decisions are those minor degrees that completely sets the trajectory of our organization. You can imagine the pressure of doing that, right? And suddenly when you're compounded with fatigue or anxiety or just if you're blocked somehow, like almost like a writer's block, 
things are coming at you and you, you need to make a decision and you're like um but you have to roll a dice but that clarity that you once had of tapping into your inner gifts tapping into the intuition tapping into your experience tapping into the, the knowledge that you know to direct the company to where you need to go that gets blocked right as a decision maker right coupled with unprecedented times so like i even have no model for this so you can imagine where a lot of decision making paralysis comes in skill specialists same thing you don't need to make, be a decision maker but if you're a you know i don't know you're an IT specialist, you know, maybe a tier three, like, you know, highly paid IT specialist. You only, you're like a surgeon in your space. You only do uh, certain procedures and do it really, really well, but doing it well is, you know, makes or break the quality of a product. And suddenly you're, you're, you're frozen, right? Decision-making paralysis doesn't mean leadership decision-making. It means performing a skilled decision-making. It's frozen. What do you do? And over time, you just find excuses like, oh, I'm tired, I'm this, I don't know why this is happening. Sometimes you have these spurts of when you're in the zone, you crush it. When you're not in the zone, you're bored, right? A lot of people in burnout are like, what happens if you're bored? I'm like, yep, falls into that creativity block, right? You're just like, I don't want to do anything. You're apathetic. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't give a hoot, right? You just don't care anymore. You're disengaged, right? That's one path. Um, the next path is a path of cynicism. And this one's a nightmare, by the way, for HR. Um, the cynicism sometimes gets blanketed. Uh, we, we, we sometimes blanket it as personality. Sometimes we blanket it as your direct speaker or your direct listener is just the way our brain is programmed. And we put people into um, like, like uh, effective communication, nonviolent communication classes or some sort of management classes um, to try to blunt out the edges when it comes to creating a more conducive empathetic empathy uh, centered organization where you coach and encourage your staff but it's challenging you can almost imagine from the individual level is yes you can teach them all these different skills what we found at the clinic is sort of the opposite right like if you're tired if you're fatigued you would chew someone out for example right you would be cynical you would be like that's not going to work you would even use sandwich techniques like that was great but Right, so like this sucks. These are called microaggressions, right? When you use language patterns like this is great, but suddenly you'll have like, wow, you just complimented me, but you negated the whole thing. At the unconscious level, I'm going to create protective mechanisms to try to, you know, not really take your words for truth at the unconscious level. We don't know it, right? We do it though, and you layer this over and over and over again with a manager. That's why you have these stats of like people don't quit companies, they quit their managers. These microaggressive cynicism doesn't come because of personality traits. It comes from a lifetime of baggage. So you can imagine, so those that come in and, you know, we don't even label them as, we don't label at all actually, but when they have, exhibit behaviors of cynicism, like, oh, I'm worrying, uh, things aren't right. I'm just being realistic. These are belief patterns. Right? I'm just being realistic. You can imagine realism being that's the, the, that is the reality they project onto their life is layered on failure after failure after failure after failure locked in with probably a limiting belief a belief that stops them because they know that the world doesn't operate that way right whether it's the way we see how we promote the way of equal opportunity the way we see money salary that type of stuff whatever right whatever limits you and they'll just say hey uh, i i didn't have it i haven't figured it out i'm gonna limit myself call it a day Layer it with a baggage usually it's resentment bitterness anger right fear worry hurt a lot of those emotions right suppress 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 it could be from childhood we don't know and it expresses itself in the workplace so you, you can imagine what a big problem for hr to have to be huh we know cynicism and microaggressions creates a toxic environment right we spend you know hundreds of thousands not millions of dollars depending on your company on on all these cultural developing efforts and these cynical people like, you know, when I say these, I mean, those that exhibit these behaviors can easily derail a lot of that really great work, right? And so that's the challenge. And that's the first challenge. The second challenge around cynicism is they don't really know it, right? Because when you're negative, you just think you're realistic, right? Because you're going to defend your world. You're going you're gonna to defend it. That's the way the world works. And I'm an expert at defending my world because that is how I keep my world together. Right? So you can imagine almost like this, this half empty type thing, right? 
Uh, not saying that there, there is neurological patterns where some people do think in certain ways, um, but you can imagine when you layer on this baggage, it's really tough internally, um, emotionally, to be able to even use the proper communication tools and things to build, right, to encourage like, those conversations in, in your culture. So cynicism, huge, right? Um, so we went through, uh, we went through fatigue, exhaustion, we went through overwhelm, uh, we went through cynicism, we went through creative blocks. The last one, and I, I leave this for the last one all the time, I call this a dark night of the soul, right? Because this one is clear and abundant now that COVID is happening. And all these five patterns, by the way, all exhibit itself, and now they're, you know, sort of just brought up, right? So dark night of the soul is very simple. It's our emotions, how our body works, how our emotional being works is when we need to fight or flight, right? An emotion comes up, we suppress that. We have to, because we have to move forward with our life. We fight or flight, we're here with a problem, we have to solve it now. Especially we're in a very instant gratification, short-term thinking about what the month ends and quarterlies, right? So you can imagine how we're really good at conditioning ourselves at, at suppressing our emotions. Now what happens, uh, aside from trauma, that's when it gets locked in and you re-trigger and go into that, right? But So traumas aside, generally, uh, when it's calm and quiet and peaceful, you're recovering, these emotions bubble up, right? It's like, oh, I'm feeling sudden anger from somewhere or sadness from somewhere. You know, your body, your unconscious mind is saying, hey, we have a relationship to something that's happening now. It's a little bit quiet. It's a good time to process that. And what we do is suppress that, right? Suppress that. Now, the dark night of the soul, well, we, we hear all the time about this concept of dark night of the soul, what I call it almost like a quarter life, midlife, some sort of life crisis, right? Is suddenly everything is bubbling up and it's bubbling up fast and it's bubbling hard and suddenly you've lost grasp of that's when you start to question who am i what is the purpose of life right i've been uh well, in terms of pattern recognition you're on heightened pattern recognition suddenly you're like wow over and over and over again i'm getting into these same um poor career choices poor health choices poor relationship choices cause and effect it's leading to the same things over and over and over again. Literally, like WTF, literally um, head to the wall. Why? Like, why is this happening? And it's challenging because you're moving from a problem-solving method. We love problem-solving to a, I have no solution for this because this is really deep inside and I'm conditioned to not talk about my feelings, right? Or even if you do talk about your feelings, you don't know how to process your feelings, right? The worst that can happen sometimes is you talk about it, but you unload all of your baggage onto someone else, and that creates another um, poor effect, right? Especially if that person doesn't know how to, how to process your, their emotions, and that has significant challenges on your relationships, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your peers, your managers, your work, you name it, your health. You call it that way, right? And it's the most painful. And that's where sort of um, the end of the story of burnout goes because that's when burnout usually leads to blow up right people confuse them right the difference between burnout is sort of like a journey right you, it, it just your blow up can happen at any time people relate to blowout but burnout are all these different indicators complex indicators all mission match some people might be i have some of this i have some of this i have some of this we call them paths just because we use them as a way to uh, loosely categorize them it's complex. It's usually some of them or all of the above and bits of bits of pieces of all of the above. And it's, a, it's just it's just a combination of what's happened in your life for you to not process them, for you to feel all those different emotions and have all those different beliefs that intertwine. Right. And so when someone comes into the burnout clinic, it's funny because we don't really. Yes, we help them on their burnout, but we focus fire on all of those different patterns. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, from a big label perspective, yes, we intervene on their burnout but what we're really doing is intervening on all those small steps all those emotions the anger the sadness the pain the hurt the anger the fear right the shame the guilt or any other emotions that clients label when that comes out we clear them from the neurology right that's what we do right labels gone right when it comes to limiting beliefs and decisions those are self-imposed labels we remove them from the neurology so literally as we test the process They'll go in and say, what do you think about big one for us is I'm not enough, right? This is a huge drive for burnout, right? I'm not enough. So I'm going at the unconscious level, imprinted as a child. We live in a very not enough society, right? And then you just have, you have to prove yourself. 
they would do all these things where you're always going, I'm not smart enough, I'm not rich enough, I don't have enough resources, I don't have enough this. Imagine all that drive. So they're doing that, and we remove that belief literally back to the root cause, the gestalt of when that belief started, we test it. So when I say this, what do you think about this? Right? Our test literally is like, wow, that sounds like a joke. Did that really come out of my mouth? Right? That's when we know it works, right? Like, did that, you know? But you can imagine you've lived with that for a long time. Some people, like um, one of the clients I just did a few weeks ago had a, uh, I'm ugly. I'm ugly inside, right? So you can imagine that challenge of self-image, right? And so as we're going through, um, you know, looking, looking through all of their challenges, all of the stories come out with that, right? Intervention finishes, so I'm, I'm ugly. How do you feel about that? Oh, I know, I'm, I'm great, I'm beautiful, I'm amazing, right? And how we measure it, that's why we're an evidence-based approach. And we use, in my mind, probably one of the more, a very profound way of measuring change is we measure against values, right? Um, so yes, we do an immediate test, right? Of is that condition gone? Do you feel emotional charge? That's easy stuff. But when it comes to what we call transformational change, values, by the way, that's what's important to you, what drives you at the intrinsic level without a bigger salary or a bigger car or a nicer house, right? Um, there's intrinsically that what that's what drives you, right? When that baggage is clear, not just do the values uh, shift, most of the time the values that are inside change. Like literally the words are changed, the hierarchy is different. And that's where I'm like, wow, can you imagine that your limiting beliefs and those emotions that you had inside, and we go through an exhaustive like baseline of their values, um, graded or shaded how you internally drive yourself towards the behaviors and the goals, right, that you want to achieve in life. But the new values, we do the, what we call this, this intervention session, mental emotional release, we call it a breakthrough session, right? But once you're finished that, those values change. It's like, it's not like I planted values in there. That's not what I do. It's those are always there. You've imprinted that as a child, right? That's where values come from. It's been always there as a resource. But with all of that baggage and belief gone, now you're accessing those for the first time. And it's becoming your driver in your hierarchy. So then we know change happens, right? And then we, you know, we, then we lock it in and do different steps to make sure that um, they keep taking the action and the focus um, to get there. And that is on a big sort of a, a big sort of process, so step-by-step -step process of how we you know, move someone from structure of burnout getting towards those indicators, coming in, we get really deep on sort of their tensions, and then like literally micro-targeting all of those things, bring that together and clearing all of the baggage, the emotional charges and triggers behind them quickly, and the beliefs, and then testing them on value shift, right? So we know that there's a motive, the motivation has changed internally, and new resources are available inside. Um, that's how we measure it. How clients measure it, testimonials are this, holy the, the weight off my shoulders, I don't, I can't, I can't explain it. We call it psychosomatic, meaning is we use language, right? Our mind to associate to things on a physical body is gone. And that's why, no joke, my last client, actually my last two clients, frozen shoulder, low mobility up to here, four or five years. One session, like literally before I even went into the intervention, full 90% mobility restored. Psychosomatic, right? So, especially on the shoulders, weight on my shoulders. If, you're sh if you feel your shoulders locking up and you're going to the massage therapist and you're going there every week and the massage like, wow, I just massaged you and loosened you up and two, three weeks later, that's happening. Same thing as a chiropractor, a chiropractor, right? If they're doing those adjustments, two, three, four weeks later, it's happening again. It just means you haven't tackled the root cause. You've tackled the surface, the symptomology of it, right? You've alleviated the pain, but you haven't tackled the root cause. And so when we address the root cause, it's gone. That shoulder does, that locked shoulder does not come back, right? That's how we measure it. That's, you know, like <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of speechless and it doesn't happen often. Um, it happened very few times during, during the podcast. Yeah, this was probably one of the, if not the most, um, the clearest, um, nicest approach to, to burnout that I've, that, I've, um, that I've come across in a long time. You know, like we, we study burnout, we speak about burnout with a lot of, with a lot of guests and, and there is a lot of like different, but obviously the end goal is the same, but there's a lot of different approaches. You have a very interesting, clear approach. Um, and, and if there is one message that I can conclude this, uh, this uh, episode of the podcast with is 
and and you put it beautifully that beautifully that people managers are sort of uh, you know define themselves as crisis managers right and and it will come a time sooner or later in their career where they they will have to manage some crisis and where where people are at the center of this crisis and they don't need to be and this is the the bit that i that i love they don't need to be uh medical practitioners to do that right there are patterns that you you know you explain this uh, these five paths um across burnout very clearly there are patterns that you can identify to to bring change uh, in your in the occupational environment to bring change within your organization and to and to make people feel better ultimately and and complete that that switch that that we mentioned at the beginning from a career to a calling right like where people get this weight off their shoulder and they eventually feel better and they can thrive at work. So, Duncan, I hate to say this, we're at the end of the episode, but I'm pretty sure that uh, we'll have you again for a, for a second session because this oh, was extremely, you. extremely enlightening. Yeah. I appreciate your time and, uh, and well, best of luck with the, with the Burnout Clinic. Obviously, we'll refer, you know, uh, we'll put enough references for people to, to reach out to you and for, you know, for people managers, for entrepreneurs to... Uh, to to spot your work and and you know to, if if there is anything that that uh, uh, we can do at this stage is to is to bring uh, bring people's attention to the burnout clinic because because I think you guys are doing an awesome job so thank, thank you. you thank you for uh, for being on board and I do want to offer a few gifts I know your community is listening to this so on the burnout clinic on the side of uh, aside so burnoutclinic.com forward slash covid nineteen mm-hmm. um, so that will give you resources. It's a hypnotherapy session or guided audio session. Um, clearest trigger. So that you, you may or may not know, but that happens at the unconscious level. But what's guaranteed is 20 minutes afterwards, deep relaxation. You come out relaxed. Um, so that's one thing that I offer to the community at, at large. Uh, that's free. Um, and also free for if you're an HR leader or people leader uh, or HR manager professional watching this episode. On the resources page, there is a webinar. And we're going to update the webinar as well, but you can access the webinar. It's called, it's our people leader's guide to overcome burnout in the workplace. And not just to be, again, cover these indicators in detail. Uh, we, we go over five specific steps. It's a step-by-step, five-step process that trains managers to be more acute uh, to these indicators and hold space um, in a way that allows their employees to release or loosen or release uh, some of their challenges so that uh, one, you as a people manager, uh, you know where to guide them to other resources within your organization. And two, uh, it's clear enough for you to know what intervention is needed. And that's when you can guide them towards professional support. That's amazing. I appreciate it. This, uh, these resources will be on our website. They will be spread across LinkedIn. I want to make sure that people get there and, uh, and they get enough value out of this because you know, we spoke about this before. You guys have amazing resources and I want people to know that. So, uh, Duncan, again, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And hopefully soon enough, we'll have a, we'll have a second conversation. All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Nadia. <laughs> have a great evening. Thank you so much. <laughs> you too. All right.